from tonight um, really fit in well with I think what God has for us in this family dedication time um, and this is it's just one of the things that's been uh, one of the biggest transitions for, for me personally as I think for the entire church to go from a, a college ministry into being uh, an everybody everybody focused you know church and um you know, one of the things we were worried about when we first started was that, you know, for seven years, eight years, whatever, we were um, intentionally focused on college students and college ministry, and um, we were not concerned, but it was definitely on our radar that somehow, uh, whether no matter how much we said that we're for all ages, we kind of have that, that label, you know, because for so long that's, you know, what we focused on and stuff. And so it just kind of became one of those things that God just kind of took care of. And I guess uh, if I had had any, like, foresight at all, um, I would have realized that what was happening was you had this group of people who were college students, and they were eventually getting older and eventually starting to get married and starting to have kids. And so it's not like as soon as, you know, the night we, we became a mission church, all these families were going to come out of the cornfield, you know, and be like, okay, we're here now to be a part of this church. It just wasn't going to work that way. That there were some, some who came on board, but for the most part, um, we were going to morph and grow just like a living organism does. And a part of that natural growth was going to be, you know, little ones, little kids. And um, there just came a point not too long after we started really uh, pursuing the church plant, you know, idea, um, we realized, and this is how I tell people sometimes, when there were more babies crying during the sermon than there were cell phones going off, um, and that's a lot because that used to be a huge problem, uh, we were like, okay, we need, to, we need to have a nursery of some sort. So, you know, how do you do a nursery? And, I mean, we're just really trying to figure things out. And it just kind of just started rolling from there. And um, it's been just a significant part of our journey, I think, as a church to begin to learn how to, um, how to support uh, parents and how to um, sub- equip them to do what, what they're doing. For us as a church to figure out how do, you, um, how do you come alongside parents without you know, raising their kids for them? You know, how do you fight that, the tendency, that, especially in the South, of people expecting for the church to be responsible for the, their child's spiritual development just like school, you know, the school system is responsible for their educational development and that kind of stuff. And How do you do all this? And all the questions that I, as a pastor, had on the front end, God just kind of has, he's just provided solutions very naturally as we've gone along. Um, and I, I tell people this some, sometimes uh, when they're asking about, you know, what was it like when we got started and everything. And I always tell people that the, the things I thought were going to be really hard uh, turned out to be really easy. And the things that were, I thought were going to be really easy turned out to be really hard. Everything was kind of backwards. And um, what we do during family dedication is a part of the beautiful growing process that God has going on here at this church. And um, so I'm just glad that, that you are here. I'm glad that, that so many family members came out to, you know, to be a part of this. And so you can kind of see what we do and uh, maybe even see a little bit of why we do it. But um, our family dedication is going to be... Uh, Maybe some, maybe similar to what you've seen before, maybe a little bit different. Um, but uh, without further ado, let's just have uh, the parents and the uh, kids come on up on the stage. We're just going to bring you all up. There you go. Everybody likes to be clapped for. Y'all just come on up and line up across here. All right, just like we practiced it, just like we practiced. I'm just kidding. All right. Y'all got to keep clapping. I mean, you can't let the clap die out. Come on. All right. Let's, let's come on. 
Okay. All right. Now, this is probably the third or fourth or fifth time that we've done this. And um, every time, I, I kind of go through some of the same stuff. And so, and it's kind of weird because it's kind of like at a wedding where, like, you're trying to talk to the couple and the crowd at the same time. Um, and so, uh, you, you see we have a, a lot of different age kids here. Um, are I missing one? Oh, there he is. He was hiding. Hmm? We got Ernie and Ashley are coming with Fisher. Yeah. All right. I'm going to try to navigate this the best I can. I'm sorry that the lighting on the stage is so uh, spotty. But like I said, this is not our this is not our house. We just rent it. And so um, I don't really know how to do this. Talk amongst yourselves. Okay. Um, what we're going to do, I'm just going to pass the mic down so you can can uh, meet all these families. If you if one of you guys would just tell us tell us who you are and tell us the name of your kids and maybe how old they are. That'll be it. And your favorite memory. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, I'm uh, Jake. And this is my wife, Chris, and uh, these are our three kids. This is Joe, he's one, and this is Addie, she's seven, six, going on seven this year. And, uh, <laughs> and this is Jack, he's, uh, he's three. Hi, I'm Jimmy, my wife's Sandy, and this is Daxton. Eight weeks, eight, eight and a half weeks. Uh, I'm Brad, uh, this is my wife Michelle, and this is uh, Lily, and she is seven months old. Hey, I'm Brad, this is my wife Tori, and this is Cole, he just turned one. Hey, I'm John, this is my wife Blair, this is Eli, and he turned seven months old today. Hello, I'm Ernie, this is my wife Ashley. This is Trace, he'll be turning three next month. And this is Fisher. He's 10 weeks old. Okay. Um, so when it comes to uh, a family dedication, we call it family dedication on purpose and not baby dedication. One reason is because some of them are not babies, right? Uh, but it's it's about it's about more than just dedicating the child. I mean, it's the family unit that um, this is all about, and this is something that we do as a church. This is not something that I, as the pastor, do. Uh, and you'll see when it comes to the actual dedication, this is something the community does. So it's not like I'm I'm going to uh, you know anoint them with oil or do anything like that, which is fine. And some churches do that, but here we feel like like the things that we do. Um, that are significant like that, where, where you, you dedicate someone or we send out missionaries, we believe we should do that as a group, as a community. So even when we, when our, the moment that we became a church, uh, if you were there, we got in, all of us got in the center of the gym and everybody, all of our family and, and Parkview Church and everybody got around us and we were prayed into existence. And so we try to do things as a community as much as we can because I think that you would all agree that you guys as parents need us as a community um, because the things that you're called to do you you cannot do it by yourself and you weren't designed to do it by yourself and so um, tonight is kind of a commissioning like when we send the missionaries out for you to remember some things now um, let me, this is for everybody's benefit uh, I'm gonna choose Lily because she's the, the baby girl not the girl I'm gonna go grab Lily okay The reason why I took a lily is, uh, is to be, it's, it's symbolic. So all the parents, um, when it comes to dedicating your child, and this is for the church too, um, there's a certain amount of handing your child over to God. Now, I'm not God, uh, nor do I pretend to be, but um, as, as a representative, 
there's a part of whenever, whenever you step down onto the floor, whenever we dedicate you in a minute, that's a part of what's happening, is that you are symbolically... You are, you are symbolically, you're symbolically handing over your child to the Lord. It's your, it's your acknowledgement that these kids are not your kids. Um, there's a song that we sing, or we used to sing, called We Fall Down. It talks about laying, laying our crowns at the feet of Christ. I think you would all agree that these babies are, they're your crowns, you know. They're, they're what you're most proud of. They're what you pay attention to. They're what you build your life around now. Um, you're handing over these babies, these kids, because they are the Lord's. They are not yours. So in one sense, you hand me Lily, you hand me Eli or Cole or any of them, you're handing them over to the Lord. But then, when I give her back, here, I'll give you back. Now see, I give, I give Lily back because God has given these parents and entrusted these parents with the lives of these kids. So when you, when baby dedication is, it's both a handing over of, of, and an acknowledgement of your, that your child is not yours, that is the Lord's, but it's also an acknowledgement that the Lord has, has entrusted the care and the provision of these kids to you on purpose. So it's both of those things happening at the same time. Um, and so in a minute, we're going to have you, you step down and line up you know, across the front. And what you're doing by stepping down there and saying we want to dedicate our family is you're saying we, we acknowledge that these kids are not ours, but we also acknowledge that God has entrusted them to us to care and to teach. Now, there's some things that we're going to give you that you can get after the service, but I want to explain why, why we have these for you. Um, Brad, you need me to hold him? There you go. Um, and there it is. Okay. For all the parents, we have, um, we have a, a Bible for your child. And we're not trying to rob you of the chance to give your child their first Bible. What we want to do is give you a copy of God's Word. Because one day, we want you to sit down with, with your kid and to say, hey, um, there came a point in your life when we got up in front of the church and we let the community surround us and we intentionally um, handed you over to the Lord and at the same time acknowledge that he has handed you over to us. Um, this is, a, I mean, it's a Bible, so you use it for whatever, but this is something that, that you can give to them so that they can know from a very early age your priority was their spiritual growth, um, was the fact that, that you are called to be the primary discipler and instructor of your children. Um, so we have a Bible for you, uh, but we also, we also have a plant. Um, it's pretty. Um, here's, and here's why we go with a plant. These plants are a lot like your kids in that um, there's not a single thing that you can do to make a plant grow. There's not a single thing you can do to make your kids grow. Um, these plants are grown by the Lord. There are things that you do when you have a plant that can help help that growth or things you can not do that hinder the growth. But ultimately, God's the one that takes the water, takes the sunlight, takes talking to the plant, you know, whatever. And he's the one that makes it actually grow. What you're called to when you own a plant is to do everything you can um, to create an environment where that plant can actually do that. It's the same thing with your kids. You can't make your kids grow spiritually. Um, you can't make your kids, um, like, listen to you. You can't make your kids do their homework. I mean, you can, but, I mean, well, I guess you can do with homework. But um, your, the spiritual growth of your kid is not up to you. But what you have to do is the same thing you have to do with a plant. You have to provide an environment where your child can grow and learn and learn to love the Lord with all of his heart and soul and might. And so we give you this plant as a reminder. This is something physical that can sit at your house that you can tend to that is going to sit there and remind you of the job that you're called to and the fact that um, you can't do anything magical to make it happen. Um, 
So here's what we're going to do. We're going to, once you guys all come down and line up across the front, just like we do with the missionaries. Y'all line up across the front. I may ask you this. If you are um, a grandparent, I want you to, uh, one of these kids, I want you to stand up because I'm sure you're like more than beaming with pride uh, to see him. Y'all stand up. If you will, we want to clap for y'all. That's right. We are grateful. We are grateful for y'all and the role that you play. And we want you to get uh, dibs on coming up here and praying for them. Um, so you guys come on and just surround, surround your um, sons and daughters and grandkids. If there's any other family members, aunts and uncles and cousins and whatever, y'all can get dibs too. Let's let's go ahead and come on down the front if you. Uh, you have uh, connections with anybody here, um, you're in community group with them, uh, you met them tonight, you know, it doesn't really matter. Uh, we just want to surround them uh, with people who love them and know them. So here's here's how this is going to work. Whenever there whenever you see dedication in scripture there's a laying on of hands and there was prayer. And so we would like to lay hands on these families and we would like to pray for them. And so if you would just Begin to pray for them and pray out loud and pray the, pray the blessings of the Lord on their lives, on their kids, on their marriages. And um, you just go ahead and begin to pray and I'll close this out in a minute. Go ahead and pray out loud. Father, we love you so much. God, we thank you for these families and for their willingness to to step uh, step in front of everyone, acknowledge acknowledge that that these children are not theirs, but at the same time embrace the fact that you have entrusted them, their care, their provision, to meet all of their needs. God, I pray that you would just continue to guard and protect them. God, that you would show them um, how to instruct them in your ways, how to disciple them, how to discipline, how to love. God, that they would not parent out of fear or, um, or worry, that anxiety would not be an issue. God, that they would, would parent in complete faith and complete love and who you are. God, that they would realize that when you tell us that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness, that includes what's needed to be the parent that you've called them to be. That you have equipped them with your spirit, that you have given them your word, that you have put them in a community that loves them. And God, we as their church family, as we are surrounding them now, God, I pray that this would be something that we live out this would not be a one-time thing, but that they would feel supported and surrounded 
God, that we could come alongside them and affirm the things that they're teaching at home, that we would invest in, in their lives, in the lives of their kids. And Father, that we, we would together be a part of training them up in the way that they should go so that when, when they get older, they will not depart from it. We thank you, Father, that, that you give us the grace that we need to make it through. I pray, God, that these parents would just abide in you and that all of that parenting would flow out of that abiding. We thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you that you have a son, so you know what it's like to care and to love and to provide. We love you, Father, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Yeah, we're through. I'm done with y'all. Y'all can get the plants and Bible stuff afterwards if you want. Unless you just want to hold that plant. Give me that fern. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Okay, last week, um, last week we looked at a, a very famous Hebrew text. We're going to look at another one um, tonight. This is one of those uh, passages that's often used um, to talk to parents. Um, and so this is sort of intended to be appropriate for tonight. Um, but it's not just about parents. Uh, it's about the people of God. And... You know, last week we looked at the, the priestly blessing that we, we pray over each other as we, um, as we dismiss on Sunday nights. And um, this, is, this is different. The priestly blessing that we'll do later on, that's something that, that the priest would, uh, would kind of mediate the words of God onto the people. Um, this is a prayer that, um, that everyone uh, in a Jewish community prays every morning. And every night, it's the first prayer that they learn when they're little. It is their desire to be praying this prayer as they die. Um, this is central to Jewish faith. And so this means that Jesus, um, being a very like good, pious uh, Jewish man, um, every day of his life, in, in all likelihood, uh, prayed this prayer, prayed these words, um, in the morning and at night. Um, this was a part of his life, a part of the life of his disciples. And so it's it's pretty pretty big deal. Let's, let's look at it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That's, that's the prayer. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, the first word in there in verse 4 is here. That is the English translation. Some of, some of your translations might say listen. It's a Hebrew word that, that uh, the Hebrew word is shema. And it, it means hear and it means listen and it means obey. You know how sometimes when, when you're a kid, maybe you are a kid now, uh, when like your parents look at you 
and they say, you better listen. With that means don't just hear me, but process what I'm saying and obey what I'm telling you. But instead of saying all that, they could just say, Shema. And that will mean don't just hear my words, but also listen to what I'm telling you and process it, but also you better do what I'm saying to you. All that pressed into one word is what the first word is here. Shema Israel. The children of God, the ones who are a part of, of Abraham's promise, who had been through all this, all this drama for so long. He's saying, hear me, but listen to me, but obey me. And so they call this prayer the Shema. It's all those things wrapped into one. So it's not just a, a prayer that you repeat and that you just kind of say mindlessly. This is meaningful. When you, if you're at a, in a, a synagogue or if you see someone who's praying the Shema and they're Jewish, most of the time they'll, they'll cover their eyes with their right hand because they don't want to be distracted by anything. Even with the eyes closed, you know, sometimes like your eyes are closed but they're not really closed. And I'm not like a rule follower, like you have to pray with your eyes closed necessarily, but they, are, they so intently want to understand this verse and live out this verse and embrace the depths of this verse that they're like, look, let's just cover up our eyes so there's no chance of anything distracting us. This is a serious prayer. It takes some real devotion to hear and listen and obey what this prayer is talking about. Shema, Israel. Here's the, here's the first part of it. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is not necessarily talking about uh, the, the Trinity, the Trinitarian uh, God that we serve. It's not necessarily an argument for that. It's more talking about the consistency and exclusive claim on the people of Israel that God has. See, these were people who were exposed constantly to uh, polytheism, to all these different gods. So during the time when they were in slavery in, in Egypt, Egyptian culture, I mean, there was a god for everything. The crops and the cattle and the sun and the moon and the, the, the grain and Pharaoh was a god and the weather. I mean, there was a god for everything. And so from the beginning, God's trying to get the people of Israel to understand, like, look, um, I am the one god. I'm exclusively your God. And in a world that's constantly looking to all these other things to supply what I'm supposed to supply, you, you are special. You are mine. So hear, listen, and obey the fact that I alone am your God. Just me. Not all this other stuff. Not the Nile River, not the moon, not the sun, not the grain, not the whatever. Just me. All that other stuff comes under under me. Now today, we kind of find ourselves in a very similar place, just maybe, maybe it's not as, maybe we don't have the labels, you know, but we talked about this in community group a couple weeks ago about modern day idolatry. And we tend to think like, oh no, I don't have issue with, with idols, you know. I mean, if I see a, a statue at, you know, Pier 1, I don't like bow down and worship it. Do you? I mean, I don't. I don't really go to Pier 1, but whatever. Uh, because that's initially what we think of with idolatry, is like a graven image carved to look like someone, and we look to that and pray to it and bow to it. But really, idolatry is looking to anything other than God for the things that God is supposed to be supplying for us, the things that he's designed the world to where he would be the one to supply it. So if, if I'm looking to, um, to a relationship to find um, worth and value and comfort, then, and those are things that God's supposed to be providing, and that's where idolatry fits into modern-day life. If I'm looking to material possessions to find my place in life or to make me feel better or whatever, then that's idolatry. Um, I lead the college community group, and we, when our first one we talked about was school, and they're like, whatever, I don't idolize school. And like five minutes later, they're like, I totally idolize school. Not worshiping school, but, but 
over the course of this discussion, more and more people were like, wow, I really do, like, my major or my grades or trying to please my parents or trying to keep up with other people in my classes and am I going to graduate on time and how's it going to make me look and all these things related to school or like all those things that I'm looking to school for, those are all things that God is the one who's supposed to be providing for me. That's where idolatry creeps in. And then we followed it up by just another like kick in the neck because it was like the next week we talked about the idol of self and how that's really where all the other idols come from. Because we just love ourselves so much. And so if we're going to Shema, this verse, then we have to recognize the fact that the Lord alone is our God. And not all the things that we tend to look to. But he says, I'm the, I'm the one that's gonna get, that gives you security. I'm the one that gives you joy. I'm the one that gives you comfort. I'm the one that gives you direction. I'm the one that gives you counsel. And sometimes those things come through the community, like we just prayed, you know, a minute ago. But that's, God does that. Sometimes he uses people, and sometimes he uses the scriptures, and sometimes he just uses that still small voice inside of us, but it's all him. And so what he's commanding uh, of Israel here, and he wants them to, to listen, hear, and obey, is the fact that he alone is God. He is one. So we can go through life looking to people and things and all this kind of stuff. Or we can be obedient to this teaching that he has handed down. Now another thing about this, this verse, not only is there like an, an exclusiveness to this verse, there's also a, a theme of consistency that I, that, that I read about. Uh, I was reading this, there's a rabbi who just kind of wrote some thoughts on this verse. And, and he said, he said Let, let's, take a, let's take a kid who's going through life and they go... Um, he said, you know, synagogue or whatever, but like, let's, let's just say church or whatever. Let's say you, you come in here and we sing songs about the greatness of God and the power of God and how he, everything he does is good and he's always faithful. They walk out of here on a Sunday. They go to church on a Monday. and they, I mean, they go to church. They go to school on a Monday, and they start to see, like, oh, wow, like, today's a beautiful day. God made today. You know, God made the sun. He made this, and, and things are good, and their friends relate to him, and, they, and there's just all kinds of, like, good things but then on Tuesday, it's like the opposite of that. Bad things happen. They get betrayed. They get stabbed in the back. Um, they fail a test. They get made fun of, you know, whatever. Have a bad day at home, bad day, whatever. And then Wednesday is kind of in between. And then Thursday is worse than Tuesday. But Friday is better than Monday. And Saturday is just off day because it's Saturday. And Sunday you go back to church and here we go, songs again about goodness and faithfulness and power and grace and whatever. He, said it, he was pointing out, he said, it's really easy for kids to get confused. He said this verse teaches them that this is, there's a consistent God over the good and over the bad. That the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. That the people of God get in car wrecks just like the people who are, I can't finish that sentence. Uh, yeah. Everybody gets in car wrecks. Everybody has bad days. Everybody bounces checks. Everybody makes bad decisions. It, it doesn't change the consistency of God. The Lord our God is one. The Lord alone. When I read that, I was like, what a, what a valuable lesson to begin to, to teach these little kids, but also for us grown-ups to to every day pray this prayer that reminds us that whatever happens today, the one God that we serve and know and love, our one exclusive God is over it. That's a powerful way to begin, to begin your day. To get up in the morning and before you go anywhere or do anything, you say, the Lord our God is one. He is over everything that happens today, the good and the bad. He's the source of everything I need today. Not people, not places, not things, not money, not a job, not words of affirmation. Him. That's a lot in that one verse. No wonder he said Shema, Israel. What an important thing. This rabbi went on to, to, to talk about, and I, this is kind of a sidebar, but he said, 
He said, here's a prayer that we've been praying for hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean, thousands of years we've been praying this prayer. He said, maybe the unity that comes from this prayer and maybe constantly putting that in front of us is why we're still around after all the junk that we've been through. After all the persecution and all the, I mean, everything that has gone on, he said, maybe that's why there's a remnant. Maybe we never quit because every morning and every night we're filling our mind with this truth that this one God is consistent and he is exclusively ours. Interesting. The next part. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Now we could nitpick heart, soul, might. Jesus added strength because in Aramaic it's different than Hebrew. But the point of that verse is, is really it's, it's the all part. All of your heart, all of your soul, all of your might. That there is this holistic love that happens in response to this exclusive God, the one and only God. That's how we're supposed to relate to him. See, these two verses together put something in, into perspective that is so important to us. It's, theologians have called it the, the imminence and transcendence of God. The imminence and transcendence. That you have this imminent God who is so near that the command is to love him with, with every part of our being. That there be no exception. That our minds and our, our, our desires, our will, our actions, I mean everything about us is to be done in a way that shows the love we have for this God. That there is an imminence, a nearness, an intimacy there. Yet there is transcendence, this one God who is over the entire universe and holds everything together. That both of those things are true at the same time. That he's making sure the planets don't spin out of control. And he's also um, making sure that you're healing from the wounds that you have from your past as you walk through that. Both at the same time. That he's controlling the universe. That he's exercising that power over everything. And yet he still gives a rip about your life. The Lord our God is one God. Love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Eminence and transcendence, both together, every single day, has been prayed and prayed and prayed. And they cover their eyes and they say, I want to live this. I want to focus on this. I, I want this to be a defining perspective for me. So you take that, then you look at the next verse. Verse 6, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. The New Covenant, all the New Covenant passages that are foreshadowed in the Old Testament, what does it say? Remove your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. I will write these commandments on your heart. Maybe that's anticipating the reality that we live in now. So here you have all this truth, and then look what it says. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall teach them, them being the, the words, the commands, the Shema, those two, the eminence and transcendence, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Now, I'm not a parent. Maybe one day I will be a parent. But I know several of you are parents. That is a part of your calling as a parent, is to teach diligently the truths of God's word. So you see, for years and years and years and years and years, Jewish parents have taught this to their kids. That's why this is the first prayer that they learn when they're little. Scripture says, teach it diligently. Jewish community being incredibly literal, they teach it diligently. They memorize it. They say it every day. There are all these stories about... Um, through, through the different events of, of the Holocaust and different kinds of persecution about this prayer being something that, that unified um, the Jewish people as they were in concentration camps and all these different situations. Teach diligently to your children. So if you're a parent, I mean, this is a, this is a discipleship command. At our church, we do not 
believe for a second that our job as the church is to be the primary discipler of your kids. We believe that that job falls to you. That we're in that secondary role. So your kids should come to church and they should, they should hear truths that echo what they have heard at home and not the other way around. So you teach it at home and they come to church, we affirm it. And you teach stuff at home and we affirm it. It's just this, this back and forthness that goes on. Like I said earlier, there's a lot of, of belief in the South that the church is responsible for that. And so, you know, parents look to youth ministers and children ministers and pastors and stuff to, like, hey, my kid's kind of messed up, you should talk to him. Like, no, your kid's messed up, but you should talk to him. We can talk about how you can talk to him, but it's your job to talk to him. After you talk to him, then we can talk to him. Teach them diligently to your kids. So how do you teach the eminence and transcendence of God to your kids? How do you teach a four-year-old who doesn't understand eminence or transcendence? I mean, I have to think for a second. Transcend, transcendence, okay. I'm 34, so how do you teach a four-year-old what that word means? Well, the main way you teach anybody anything is by modeling it yourself. I mean, even the worst math teacher you've ever had goes up to the board or whatever they do it on now, overheads or in space with a laser. I don't really know how they do it now, but uh, my day it was chalk. Uh, worst math teacher I ever had even went to the board and like did the problem on the board. You want to teach your kid what, what eminence and transcendence is all about? Then you live it yourself. You exhibit the, the trust in this God who's over everything. You obey him because Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. You pray with your kids. You pray in front of your kids. You study your Bible on your own. You study your Bible with your kids. You talk about it. You unpack the sermon. You unpack the worship service. You find out, you're in, you're, oh, what y'all do in kids group tonight? Oh, that's really cool. Uh, what, what do you think about that? How did you, you know, learn that? Yeah, I remember when I learned that and this and this and this. But you model it. I've told a story before about my, my grandparents. Um, ever since I was a little boy, I remember the story that when they moved from Liberty, Mississippi to Zachary, they didn't know what to do and how, you know, my, my grandpa was like, well, we just need to pray about it. And how they, they were picking butter beans and they knelt down in the garden and they prayed together. And I don't know if my dad and his brother and stuff, if they saw that or if they just knew that it happened, but that image was passed on to them and was passed on to us. So my whole life I've grown up with this story of my grandparents who are incredibly strong in their faith and the kind of people you want to be when they grow up. And that's been a part of what has shaped um, my understanding of what their faith was like. They said, we need to pray about it. We pray about it now, in the middle of the row. So they modeled that, and that was passed on. And my parents and my aunts and my uncles, they modeled stuff for us, and that was passed on. And that's how it works. That's how you teach diligently. You do it both directly and indirectly. You look your kids in the eyes and you tell them, God is bigger than this. They got a bully at school, you talk to them from a Christian perspective. They're doing bad in school, you talk to them, you let them know that that doesn't define their identity. However, there is a certain degree of excellence that needs to come with everything that we do. You look them in the eye and you tell them stuff, but also you model it for all the times when they're, they're watching you and you don't realize it. Teach it diligently to your children. Next part, and shall talk of them, okay, them being the commandment, those eminence of transcendence, talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. When you lie down, when you rise, that's where they get the, the morning and evening prayers from. When you lie down to go to sleep, you pray the Shema. When you rise in the morning, you pray the Shema. When you sit in your house, as you walk by the way, um, when I was in, in Israel, I don't know if we had that, that picture up there or not. When I was in, in Israel, um, we would, you know, we were walking around and we would just see uh, all over the place, um, you'd see like fathers and sons, and you would see like a rabbi with these like, like uh, young guys following him around, learning from him and stuff. And there was just 
There's all this stuff going on. There's always something happening. And uh, this was a picture. I think it's weird when you take pictures of people doing important things. And uh, so I apologize because this is kind of weird. However, I was watching this guy and his son. And I, and I, well, this kid's not paying attention. I don't think he was with him. Uh, but I watched them. And what they were doing was exactly what, what this verse talks about. Um, verse 8, you can leave the picture up. Verse 8 says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. I don't know if you can see, but on his arm, there's like a uh, leather strap that goes all the way around him. And it wraps up on his hand. And you see there's like a little box on each of their foreheads. And in that box, there's a scroll that has prayers from the Torah on it. There's a box with the band. So when it says, um, I read the verse, you look at the picture. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Okay? Like I said, Jewish people, incredibly literal. So when it says to do that, that's what they've done for thousands of years. This right here. So here they are at the western wall. Father and son have come here. They're studying the Torah together. The father is teaching the boy what to do. They have the word of God bound to them, just like it says. He has the prayer shawl on. Um, They're surrounded. I mean, all the way down the wall here, there are people praying. Um, This is discipleship in that culture, and this is how how it works. Leave that picture up. But the last verse says, um, You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Um, Every hotel we went into, on the the doorposts of all the rooms, there was a little box for the mezuzah. And they put the scroll, just like it is in the box there, they put the scroll inside on the doorposts of the house. I mean, if God said to do it, they, they did it, and they did exactly what it said. This was such an important part of, of their culture. And, and here's the point for me. It's not just a Jewish history lesson or just saying, hey, look how cool this, this picture is or this verse is. They were absolutely serious about this verse being a reality in their lives. So if God said strap it to your, strip it, strap it to your hand, we're going to do it. If he said put, a, put it on your forehead, then we're going to do it. If he said put it on your doorpost, we're going to do it. If he said teach it diligently to your children, we're going to do that. If he says when you're in your home or as you're walking by the way, you talk to your kids about your faith, we're going to do that. We are going to do it. This is not going to be casual. This is not going to be a secondary part of life. Every morning, every night, we're going to pray, acknowledging the eminence and the transcendence of our one God. It's beautiful. It's challenging to me. The discipleship aspect of it is very challenging. Passing that on to my kids, if I were to have them, being a part of passing it on to your kids, that's a challenge to me. To know that if we're ever hanging out, we're at a crawfish bowl, we're tailgating or something like that, that that is a teachable and learnable moment, just like it is in here. That the kids of our church are going to look to see if there's consistency within us. All that stuff is challenging. But that challenge just comes from the personal challenge of saying, do I live trusting this imminent, transcendent God. Do I shema those verses? Do I hear them? Do I process them? Do I obey them? Now, this is not really like what, like my style or my style, like I have a style. Um, But I just... It's what we're going to do. Uh, we're just going to sing We're going to sing a song that kind of ties all this together because it's kind of usually how we do things in just a minute. Here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like you to think about this. It says, uh, it says in Romans that we are grafted into the story of Israel. So just like the priestly blessing from last week, I'm not trying to Christianize something, but I am acknowledging the fact that we, we because of Christ, have been grafted in just like a, like a branch that's been grafted back into the trunk of a tree. We're now a part of their storyline. I would like to challenge us all to begin to make this prayer part of our daily lives. 
not as a ritual, you know, not as just a, one more thing to do or whatever, but think about first thing on your mind when you wake up, last thing on your mind before you go to sleep. The eminence and transcendence of God. The Lord our God is one God. He's consistent. He's exclusive. And my response is to love him with literally every single part of my life. He's relational. He's powerful. To begin your day that way, to end your day that way. I think that there's something significant about that. I think that we can learn something from our Jewish brothers and sisters. From the fact that God himself passed that on. And that for thousands of years that prayer has been spoken. And that God has honored, honored that. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we know that, um, that life is full of things that are trying to, trying to meet our needs, so to speak. And while we may not have idolatry,